The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Yes, it does. Three peas in a pod at the NYSE. Thank you very much. And live here at the NASDAQ market side, a little further uptown, this is Fast Money. I am Brian Sullivan. On this rainy Tuesday outside, your traders who ventured the weather to come in, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami tonight on Fast. With markets setting another slew of records, we hear from the most bullish man on Wall Street. Come on. Oppenheimer's John Stolfus. That's right, Guy. He's here. He'll tell us why he's so optimistic and what the biggest risk to this market rally may be. Plus, Boeing, you know it's halting production of the 737 MAX. And maybe you don't care, but you probably do care about the American economy. And Boeing's news could impact us all. We'll tell you why. Then there's Apple, hitting another all-time high today. But three analysts have three very different takes on the same stock. We're going to find out who the traders believe is right. All that ahead, will we begin with an earnings alert on FedEx, and it's not a good one. Shares dropping after hours, FedEx stock down again, missing on both earnings and revenues. Let's get right back to Eric Chemi, who is at CNBC HQ, with more on the FedEx flop. Eric. That's right, Brian. It was a disappointing quarter for FedEx. CEO Fred Smith acknowledged in the release that the company's fiscal 2020 is, quote, a year of continued significant challenges and changes. The company missed on the top and bottom lines, citing weak global economic conditions, increased FedEx ground costs, the loss of business from Amazon, a shift to lower yielding services, a more competitive pricing environment, and a late holiday shopping season. Looking ahead, the company is reducing its guidance to reflect lower than expected revenue and higher than expected expenses. FedEx is also implementing reductions to its Global Express Air Network and restricting hiring all to help improve productivity and better match capacity with demand. For example, FedEx is eliminating many of its international flights to reflect reduced global air freight demand. The after-hours move now means FedEx is negative for 2019. Investors will have their chance to hear from Fred Smith and the rest of the executive team on the conference call in about 30 minutes. Brian, back to you. All right, Eric Chemi. Okay, guys, let's trade this. And we were kind of making some comments, Guy Dami, about FedEx not going so into that because the, 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 the company's not doing well. I mean, the stock's down, what, 10% over the past year? UPS is up 24%. I mean, the gap widens. What is wrong with FedEx? I, well, you could say it's operationally. You could say maybe some, maybe some heads... Maybe there should be some changes in the sweet suite. I, I don't know, but I'll tell you this. They lowered guidance a while ago, and they lowered guidance to $11 to $13 for full year 2020. That was, they just lowered guidance again down to 10 and a quarter to 11 and a half. I mean, you could it drive they a truck. No, no visibility clue into whatsoever. Their so, number one, stop giving guidance because it's clearly not helping their cause. Operating margins in their business continue to go the wrong way. Huge EPS beat, a miss, excuse me. And we talked about this back in October when Bernstein lowered their price target. We said when the stock was trading 133, they're late to the game. The stock's going to rally, but they're going to wind up being right. We said that last night. 151 is their price target. I guarantee the stock is probably trading there now. Yes. Well, I'm sadly long FedEx. And, you know, last time we talked about it. Right, Still hanging the, on. Well, I, wanna, I always want to hear the call. That last time we were talking about trades at a discount, and it should. 
And, you know, it's very frustrating to hear why they missed. You know, they talk about weak global demand. They talk about a short selling season because of the way Christmas falls. They talk about Amazon. None of those are new. None of those are surprises, and yet they're citing. Yeah, they're shocked by the calendar. Mm. Yeah, right. Nobody last year looked at 2019 and said, "Oh my gosh, (laughs) Thanksgiving and Christmas are close." Somebody call the CEO. So that's very frustrating. You talk about changes in the C-suite. They've had ones that they haven't. You know, they tried to get some succession there, and it didn't work out. So that's frustrating as well. I mean. You know, the bar was low going in, and it hit them in the face. And I, I mean, this how much really longer, Karen? You holding on? I, you know, unless they see something very different on the call, I got I got to throw in the towel. Really? So that's interesting because I'm I'm someone that still has a lot of faith in Fred Smith. Certainly, if if you'd asked me uh, four quarters ago, I'd tell you he's one of the best in the business in in any C-suite. And and changes in the C-suite here that would involve him, I think, would be be massive. But what's very disappointing, how can this company not have visibility into its business? I realize that there's a global trade war. Uh, It's not what I'm hearing out of UPS. Uh, Matching capacity with demand, hey, that's what UPS has been doing. UPS is the one that's been cutting CapEx. So this is very disturbing. Trough multiple. I've been saying that for three quarters, so I'm very wrong on that. Um, this is frustrating. And, and this is a stock that also, as we want to believe in the rest of the industrial charge forward and the transports, which are uh, giving you some late cycle oomph, this is the stock that you wanted to see, whether it's on the charts getting above that 200. It'd been, it had been basing and getting there. This is a big disappointment. And the fact that they missed on the top line, the bottom line, and said that they can't tell you about their business is probably as disappointing as it's been for the last three quarters. Yeah, I would just say that it's also worth broadening this thing out. Uh, you know, at one point today, Navistar, which you know, makes trucks, uh, sells to UPS, sells to Caterpillar, was down 10% on their fiscal tw- 2020 outlook. So when you think about this, yeah, there's a lot of things that are very company-specific here. I don't I don't think Fred Smith is the problem. I don't think, uh, you know, I mean, let, so let's just be, let's take this, you know, separate it from the trade war situation and say that maybe there are some other things going on as far as global demand for right. these sorts of services. I that's think that's already priced. Yeah. Should have been. Well, it, it is priced in, but then you look at UPS, which is also trading at about 15 times. So you guys were talking about UPS or uh, FedEx trading at a discount Massive to its amount. peers and to the market. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, this thing's going lower. This traded below 140 back in September, October, the last time that they had got it down. Um, it had this, what, 25% bounce from um, its trough down there. So 150, big level on the chart. I think you probably see this thing kind of retest. But there's not anything coming in this Well, you know, again, right. Guy, because FedEx is one of the transports, and I think to Dan's point, broadening it out, is FedEx a FedEx problem? Yes. Is FedEx a global economy problem? Because people look to the transports to sort of extrapolate out where the entire market's going to go. I think FedEx, it's, I think you know and I know the answer to questions like that are typically both. However, I think it's far to 85% a FedEx problem. I think a lot of this is self-induced. Maybe, they, maybe a lot of it was unavoidable. I don't know. But I think a lot of it is FedEx-specific. I'm glad Dan, though, brought up Navistar. I mean, a huge truck maker. This is a stock that with the S&P at all-time highs effectively today... This is a stock that topped out around $45 in early 2018, and now it's a $27 stock having bounced. So, you know, there are a lot of warning signs that we try to bring forth each night. And I don't need any help looking foolish. I do it well on my own, but the market's done that. Well, it's true, but the market's done that for me. The market has a way of making you look really dumb in the face of what has been extraordinarily disappointing data out there. Let's throw up a five-year chart of FedEx if we can, guys, because let's not forget. And and to your point on Navistar, 
Karen, this was a $275 stock not even two years ago. The stock is falling like an internet name or or something, you know, with no base. All the the technical levels have been breached. It's lost $110 in 20 months. Yeah, I mean, well, TNT, that was where it sort of all started to go awry. That was just ended up being a terrible The deal that they made for the, the private made, delivery it, company. Right. But for a long Europe, time, that was that a totally was, a creative deal, right? I mean, it, I, I would say TNT that was the a more idea, international, TNT was a, side. but it was a driver for FedEx. It was a driver for the multiple, and it was a very important trade, I, I think, for, for, for until it wasn't. Now it looks like that Europe's the big problem, the air freight internationally is, is a big problem, and that maybe they're not integrating as well. But I, I don't, sorry, I didn't know. I, 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 I think the slowdown occurred, but I think that the integration of TMT, the pricing, I mean, it, I think that's been a disaster, a huge distraction from management as well. I mean, a lot of things have gone Let on. me flip it. Karen, you said, okay, you've owned it for a long time. You've been honest about that. And you yep. said you're ready to throw in the towel. At what point, though? I mean, this is FedEx. There's sort of a duopoly in delivery. I mean, I know Amazon's but going. there's not. That's the thing. Well, it's, no it is evolving to, you know, there, people is, are going. Individuals are now delivering boxes for right. Amazon. But Amazon didn't even really exist in this market 10 years ago, 15 years ago. FedEx has been around in this market 10 years ago, 15 years ago. FedEx has been around since, I think, 1971 is when Fred Smith, or right around there, found it. At what point does it get so cheap you go, you know what? It may not be run that great, but the valuation and the fact that it's clearly not going away right. will make it a deal. Well, I thought that yesterday. If you go yeah. out long, it's the same as buying it at that price. Mm-hmm. So at 164, wherever it was yesterday, 166 this morning, I thought all of that was in there. And yet that turns out to not be the case. It is not a duopoly anymore at all. And right, you have the post office, you have Amazon, and that's not going away. That's only going to be when you're throwing in the post. I don't know the post office competitor. (laughs) Well, Uh, yeah. So when when we talk about FedEx, though, really the biggest issue for this company, I think, if you want to own the stock here, would be the global economy. Uh, In other words, if you have a view on the global economy that's not bullish, and 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 take away FedEx out of the transports, and if you follow the transports by uh, the ETF, which is the IYT, of which FedEx is about nine percent, the IYT arguably is about to break out, if not for FedEx, would be breaking out, would be totally in concert with the other parts of the market that we wanted to see. Um, and, and so I know you want to talk about Navistar. You, I know you want to talk about the broader read, and you may be right. I'm not telling you the world's a great place. But, but what we are seeing is that the rails uh, and the airlines are all in a, actually a very decent place, both in terms of their business and their charts. Well, let me make one point. So, so FedEx was a company that took a lot of heat in November. Remember like that they cut their tax bill to zero in 2018? Remember the New York Times story? and they caught a lot of heat about that. They had this lobbying effort to get their own tax bill. So what happened? You just mentioned that 275 number. You know where that came? January 2018. That's when all the enthusiasm was in the market, was in individual stocks about this tax cut. And what happened since then? The stock has literally been going the upper left to the bottom right ever since then. So tax cuts can mask a lot of bad things going on with the company only for so long. And then what happens is, you know, I, what, what do they say when the, the, the tides come out or something like that? Not wearing a bathing suit. Right. So here, you know, who's not wearing a bathing suit? FedEx. Oh, yeah. No. Well, well, there Yikes. you go. I'm not, you know, it's Ooh. a family show here. But, but I guess the point is, is like, even with the benefit in 2018, the slowing global economy, the trade war, it did its number. The company obviously has their own issues and they have secular issues with Amazon. Yeah. And FedEx is now Karen's ex because she's throwing in the towel. Well, oh, oh one more thing. Divorce in the stock. Wow. clever. But I do, you know, there is in a year where a lot of things went right to take a tax loss. I could yeah. buy it back in 31 days. And revisit. Well, if you do, let us know. Okay. Because we hope to see you again. I don't know if you'll see FedEx again. 
All right, the FedEx conference call, by the way, getting underway in about 20 minutes. Karen, you got to wait till the show's over to get on it. We're going to be listening in. We're going to bring you any big headlines that come out. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Up next, we're going old school. If you remember the old show Street Signs, mm. the good, sure. the bad, and Great the show. ugly on Apple. Thank you, Tim. Three oh. different analysts with three different takes on the same stock. How's that possible? Later on, the biggest, the baddest bull on Wall Street is with us. Why Oppenheimer's John Stolfus, he's nearly... 10% upside for your money in the new year. Not bad. Stick around as always live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Hope you're having a good night. Let's take a look at shares of Apple. Guess what? Hitting a new record high today. It's barely news anymore. I mean, every day, new record high, new record high. But the question is this. Why do three presumably smart analysts all have very different takes on the same stock? Let's take a look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. Love that movie. Bringing it back. I love it. We like Wallet. Starting with the good. All right. Cowan, calling Apple one of its favorite ideas going into next year. They're upping their price target by 16% to $325. Instanet, not buying all the hype. It's not bad. But they told investors, you got to be careful on Apple. Analysts there concerned about the 5G rollout and what it might mean for the company. And finally, the ugly. And it's been an ugly call. Rosenblatt estimating that Apple's iPhone sales in China fell 30% in November. And there's even more trouble on the way. In fact... Rosenblatt seeing a huge drop in production overall for the new iPhone 11. Mm. Three analysts, three different views. Guy Adam. Yes, sir. I, even, I almost hate mentioning the Rosenblatt call because they've been so wrong, but I'll give them credit for sticking with it. Which one? They got a $150 price target, by the way, in the stock. Who's going to be right? You know where this stock was this time basically last year? Right here? Half of this price. It's basically $150 or so. Yeah, so it was a good call two years ago. No, but, well, a year ago. No, I'm not suge- my point is, it's not like it hasn't been here in recent past. I mean, the stock has effectively doubled now in a year. So I don't go the Eli Wallach route of <laughs> nice ugly. Job. Thank I know you. what you're doing. And I, I don't go the doing. Clint Eastwood route of the good. So I'm in the Lee Van Cleef mode, as Tim and I mentioned earlier. I'm smack in the middle. And he happened to do a great job in that movie. Does that mean you're neutral? You're not going to you're saying don't put new money to yeah, work? Yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you why. And I'm not going to go, whoa, whoa, don't, pl- game, don't do the, the vacuum thing. We And I'm not pretending I've been some raging bull, Robert De Niro, in the stock. I have not. But what I have said now, for months it seems, we have the $14.90 they're going to earn <laughs> next year. Things. Give them a 19 multiple, effectively a market multiple. Do the math and you get $280 a share. Where'd the stock close today? 
$280 a share. I think at these levels, given this market run, it's about where it should be, Brian. Thank you. So go ahead, Karen. Well, no, I was just going to say the, the, the good, which is the Clint Eastwood. 325, yeah. the Clint Eastwood. <laughs> I didn't love how they got there, which was they changed the multiples. Right. They yeah. didn't really change their earnings. Streams. They changed the multiple. Well, it's deserving of a more of a higher multiple. Right. I find it's kicked that into a fifth gear, a new gear, a new gear of a multiple, not a new gear of earnings. Yeah. But that's going to bring the stock up just because you say, OK, well, Apple, hold on. It brought the stock up this year. It's up 77 percent. How much were earnings up this year, Sully? Sorry to touch you. They weren't. <laughs> they weren't up. So the multiple expanded. It happened. It's incorporating anything Fair. that's going to happen in 2020. Yeah. And I'll just make one other point for a stock that literally is up 99 percent since it's closed on January 3rd when the company pre-announced its first negative pre-announcement in a decade. Why? Because Chinese iPhone sales were really weak. That's the Rosenblatt call. That was Credit Suisse's call earlier in the week. That iPhone sales in the month of November were down 35% year over year in China. Let me tell you this. If you were buying this stock right now at $280 with all that funky math because you think that the iPhone 11 is doing well and 5G is going to be a super cycle, you're doing it wrong. I'm just telling you. So wait until the end of next month. See what comes out and you're going to have opportunity to buy this stock. My only point, Karen, that's all good points, but my point too was that this is a stock for whatever reason that always got a valuation discount to Microsoft, to everybody else. You always wonder what, at one point, Apple had like a single-digit trailing P.E. Yeah, it did. But then I think that's changed as they shifted their business. And they've done a great job shifting the mix. And the services business, obviously, higher multiples deserved. But now that's happened. Last song you bought on iTunes? I don't buy I, I don't have iTunes. <clears throat> Baby Come Back by Player. She doesn't have iTunes. Nice job, though. Excellent. Nice call by yeah. me, right? Spotify. Oh, you, Spotify. There so you can go. I... Yeah, yeah look, quickly, we've got to move on to Micron. The, the, the point that it's gone from a 10 multiple to a 20 since 2016 is very important. So despite the Clooney haircut, Dan is actually <laughs> ugly right now. Uh, and I think he's... He, look, I'm long Apple. So I don't want to go ugly on this. But what we're talking about is a stock that's moved 65% since June. And that re-rating, I mean, they took, as Karen said, from 14 to 17 on hardware and from 24 to 27 times for their blended multiple. So I think you should be cautious, even if you are an investor, as I am. Okay. Let's stay with a different tech name. That is Micron, MU, getting a big upgrade at Wedbush. The analysts kind of throwing in the towel to the upside, raising it to an outperform. Matt Bryson says an improving cycle for memory chips will serve as a big tailwind for the company. Wedbush sees about 47% upside for the stock. This is Micron's second upgrade just this week. Yesterday, Susquehanna upped its rating to positive, whatever that means. Micron reports tomorrow after the bell. Dan Nathan is Micron, ready to rip higher on higher DRAM and NAND memory prices. Well, here's the thing. And the DRAM, the memory, is all about that super cycle that we're talking about that's going to come a year out. And I also think that, you know, when you think about this stock up 65 or so percent of the year, double that of the NASDAQ, you might have seen some really good trends in front of the tariffs where you saw some double ordering by a lot of Micron's customers. I would be very cautious here. The stock is literally, look at that chart right there. It's just broken out here. It's up about 8% in the last week or so. I would not be buying it in front of the print Last quarter, no matter what they said, it wasn't going to be good enough. The stock was down 12% the next day. I suspect you'll have an opportunity to buy it after the purchase. That's interesting because that's a chart that looks like yeah. the one you want to break out, as yeah. you said, because it is breaking out. And, and here's what I'll say about DRAM prices. So everybody knows what happened in 2019. You went from 3 bucks down to about $1.65-ish, which is where um, people have started to see this inflection point. And again, people look at 5G. Dan's right to say probably not even next year, probably out to 2021. Mm. But this is a stock that tends to overshoot in one way or the yeah. other. 
because DRAM because DRAM is oil. As as the late great Boone Pickens said, the cure for higher prices is higher prices. DRAM prices go up, they start making more, prices come down, Micron cuts guidance. It's a tough stock sometimes for years. It's extraordinarily difficult stock. People, you know, you buy this not when it's at its cheapest valuation. Typically, you buy it when it's its most expensive. That's getting into the like a commodity, by the way. Like a commodity, by the way. But the I think the recent high was in May of 2018 or so, 61 and a half, 62 dollars. I could see an overshoot to those levels, but I completely understand what Dan is saying. I think what's going to happen is it's going to flush a lot of the people out on the upside. People are going to finally throw in the towel, and then I think the stock rolls. But I think it's going to rally post-earnings tomorrow afternoon. We're going to watch out. We're going to find out. Micron tomorrow afternoon. All right. As we just noted after the bell, so we'll get more, obviously, tomorrow. And if you want to get more on any of the releases, any of the earnings, you can go to CNBC.com. Obviously, wait till the show's over. Mm. Meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Markets at record highs? You ain't seen nothing yet. We'll talk to the most bullish man on Wall Street to find out where he sees stocks going in 2020. Plus, it's the worst performing sector of the year. But the best performing this month. Is energy really staging a turnaround? Those stories and much more when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. It was another record-setting day on Wall Street. The Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ, all, you might have guessed it, at all-time highs. Let me tell you how math works, Guy. Go. Every time the market goes up, if uh-huh. you're at an all-time high, that would be what? A new high. Correct. Our Bob Pisani joining us live from the New York Stock Exchange with more. Break it all down. Make some sense. Rain it in for us, Bob. Nobody's getting past you, Brian. Stocks were back in record rally mode today. He's right. The Dow S&P 500 NASDAQ all closing at new highs once again, though barely. Now, this marks the 30th record close of the year for the S&P 500. So the good news is new highs are expanding. And it isn't just a small group of super cap stocks, you know, like Apple or Alphabet hitting new highs. We've had that problem before. Not now. There were over 200 new highs at the NYSE and over 300 at the NASDAQ. 
The New York Stock Exchange advanced decline line is at an historic high, meaning the market advance has been broad. That indicator, very bullish right now for the markets. Leading the charge once again were the banks. Bond yields rose early in the morning after strong housing and industrial production reports. They pushed the big banks, Bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, to do 52-week highs, along with regionals like Keycorp. And it's not just in the U.S. this rally, by the way. In Europe, the stock 600 closed at an historic high yesterday. Japan's Nikkei index is at a 52-week high, and believe it or not, it's close to breaking out to a 28-year high right now. Fueling the rally are what I call the four horsemen that have moved markets all year. First, the Fed is neutral. Second, the chances of a recession in the U.S. have diminished greatly. Third, there are the outlines, let's call it the outlines, of a truce on trade and tariffs. And finally, there have been some tentative signs that the global economy has been bottoming. But the global growth picture is a little bit more murky today, and that was a problem, especially after reports that Boeing could be looking to cut or halt production of that 787 MAX jet. And that's rippling through that global supply chain, hitting key suppliers like GE and Saffron, which are building the engines, and Spirit Aerosystems, another major supplier. J.P. Morgan claims that Boeing's production could notably dent U.S. growth, possibly shaving off half a percent from first quarter GDP. And Brian, that got a lot of play amongst the trading community today. Back to you. Yeah, we're going to talk about it a little later on on this show. Bob Pisani, thank you very much. All right. Uh, just quickly, before we get to anything else, I want to does anybody here own the Japanese market? By the way, by far yes. the cheapest on every metric in the world, finally getting a little respect. Yes. I am. I mean, I'm long a whole bunch of uh, um, international stocks. I've owned it for a long, long time, though. It's nice to see it. Still really, really cheap. Yeah, it's amazing. It's gone from 8000 to 24000 yet it still trades at like one-time sales or something like that. And, and they're starting to pay dividends. There's been a big structural kind of re-crafting you know, crafting of the corporate approach towards dividend and payouts, and they're about to do a big fiscal stimulus. So you know, if you want to ride this momentum, I do agree Japan's interesting. Okay, so Wall Street has a new top market bull. Oppenheimer's John Stolfus releasing his 2020 year-end target today. He expects the S&P to hit 3500 a nearly 10% increase from current levels. The question is this, how are we going to get there? Let's find out. John Stolfus, Oppenheimer's chief investment strategist, is here. John, welcome. Here we are again. Now, is this just like someone's got a 3475, let's price is right them, go to 3500? How, how did you arrive at 3500? Every day we wake up and we say, should we, should we turn bearish now? And then we, look, we, then we look at the markets, we look at the math, we look at the economy, we look at what's happening geopolitically. What's There's the math? Always trouble. What's the math that gets the you math, there? The math that gets, that gets me here is that we have seen remarkably good growth economically based on all the problems that we've had with the tariff war, all the problems that we've had with the, just the economic slowing that we, we passed through in, in the fourth quarter of last year and a good half of this year. But remarkably, when you look at the data, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't recessionary. Companies have done remarkably well. The S&P 500, negative earnings growth the last two quarters, as I recall, but much better than expected. So negative growth, not as bad. Uh, and revenue growth is beginning to show it. In, in the old days, if, if you'd had good earnings growth and, and revenue growth was soft, We'd Bears would say, oh, this is bad. It's yep. got to be a bad thing. Cause it, but now revenue growth is good. Earnings growth is a little weak, but not as weak as expected. I think going into this uh, third, uh, fourth quarter, I'm sorry, third quarter earnings season, they'll be jumping. 
uh, they were looking for four. Consensus was looking for four percent negative growth, and it came in at around one and three. Eight. Just quickly on that, before we get the guy, uh, do we care about EPS anymore? And I say that because the amount of available stock has shrunk by so much. I think it's like twenty-two percent due to all the buybacks. You can game that EPS number. The revenue side sounds like a lot more of an optimistic story. Well, and. And we're we're looking at, at, at not only at the revenue, but we also look at the earnings because you have to, you have to have earnings, and, and the earnings consider what, what saved earnings this year. We think in a lot of ways is it was the second year of tax reform, so the comps were tough. But the reality was that most companies got to save at, at more of what they earned than turn it over to the government. So that was that helped offset problems that companies may have had with the tariff war that may have had due to slowing. They got to keep a little bit more jingle in the box. Related to buybacks, for years I haven't liked buybacks. But in this latest cycle, it's not a bad thing because the biggest risk for most companies, we believe, around the world, for most companies, is overcapacity. Uh, it, it was proven in the chemical industry. I mean, just think, why did Dow and DuPont merge? They merged because China had developed their commodity industry to such an extent. There was overcapacity. Overcapacity in aluminum, if you remember a few years ago, was created. Now, the next thing, we'll move into overcapacity in tech. So you have, if you're not a leading innovator, you really have to consume. If you own a stock at ten dollars, it goes to fifteen. The reasons why really don't matter, right? I mean, you're very happy about that, so I get that. But the Fed has expanded their balance sheet the fastest over the last three months than they have in the last decade. How much does that play into this? Because in my opinion, that's all this is. I think it, it most certainly contributes significantly, particularly for traders, short-term, short-term opinion of, of the market and where the opportunity is. However, that said, I think what really enables the Fed to act the way it, it, it's acting and be able to be very sensitive to both weaknesses as well as strengths within the economy I, I think is the very fact that you've got technology and globalization that are counterinflationary. Uh, they create uh, abundance of, of uh, within the, the labor pool is, in, in, is well informed, so it's hesitant to demand the kind of increase in wages it used to. Uh, with companies today, a relative, yeah. a relative upstart of a company can in a short period of time with access to affordable technology and, uh, and easy access to, to technology can become a competitive peer of a long-established company. Yeah, and if, listen, yeah, and, if you, if you ignore home prices, car prices, health care, college costs, food prices, there's no inflation. Uh, well, if you look at college, if you look it's at so college good. prices, it's murder. There's the inefficiency, so, right? And medical prices, real but estate. those are around the corner. When the iPhone starts, it starts helping you out with, yeah. with a lot of the basic medical stuff where you don't have to go into the office. That could, that could be a big John Stolfus, 3,500 price target right now. Right now. For Top now. I mean, That's for now. Because right now there's somebody watching Fast Money. It's like, I'm going to out Stolfus, Stolfus, I think and they're going to pop happen, in. I think going to happen, Brian. I'm expecting it, if not tomorrow, the next day. And you're going to go like this, and pretty soon it's, you know what it is? <laughs> Wall Street strategist inflation. <laughs> John, thank you. Thanks. 3,500 guy, Dami. Buy a, a stock at 10, it goes to 15, you don't care. You don't care the reasons why. No, you don't care. But you should understand the reasons why. You don't bury your head in the sand and say this is all because the world is such a great place. I don't think the world is such a great place. And, and John used sensitive. I'm not bringing the guests back, by the way. I would use reckless as the operative word to describe the Fed. But that's what makes markets. Listen, 3500 you have to have $175 worth of earnings for the S&P 500 with a 20 multiple. In my world, that's a little, that's a little a bit of a reach.
Why are you look? Why are you looking well, at me with so those just, eyes? Just, just so a big part of, of John's story is that EPS this year, coming into the year, was expected to be $175 in earnings this year. Where are we going to end up at 164 So you have this multiple expansion that's happened in the S&P 500. That's anticipating whatever growth we have mm-hmm. in 2020. Okay, great stuff, guys. Appreciate it. Right, coming up, economists predict that Boeing's halt in production on the 737 MAX will indeed hit the entire American economy. You may not believe the impact possibly on jobs and GDP that could happen. We'll connect the dots. Plus, healthy gains in two major healthcare stocks today that is making them feel so good. What is it? We're going to give you the names and what's going on when Fast Money returns. All right, well, welcome back to Fast Money. You think that a day after Boeing announced its halting production of the 737 MAX plane, the stock would be lower. That was not the case today. Boeing shares actually basically managed to finish unchanged. And while the production halt did not impact the stock too much today, it could have an impact on the entire American economy. Steve Leisman, back at HQ with more on this story. Steve. It may be hard to imagine, but economists estimate that Boeing's decision to halt production of the 737 MAX can lower overall U.S. economic growth in the first quarter and maybe do so measurably. The negative effects, they estimate, could be even larger than last year's government shutdown. Forecasters at both J.P. Morgan and Oxford Economics say the production halt could shave as much as a half a point off of first quarter growth. Problem is that the first quarter outlook was already looking weak. Now it could come in closer to 1% instead of 1.6. That will make it one of the weakest quarters in years. Growth is expected to rebound when production returns, but when that happens is an open question. At this point, you know, we're facing a situation where you're going to have probably about 450 aircraft in inventory because Boeing will finish producing currently the the aircraft in process now. The international regulators still have to act. And while we assume that, you know, Europe might be relatively soon after the United States, uh, who knows when when the Chinese and other other major markets may look to uh, to obviously fall in line. For now, Boeing has said it won't lay off any of the 12,000 workers who build the 737 MAX. But if the stoppage grinds on, suppliers might find it tough to hold the line on jobs. And eventually, Boeing could as well. Back to you, Brian. All right, Steve Lee's been on that big story. So, Karen, what do you think? I mean, not only just Boeing, but Boeing's impact on so many other companies. Well, that that number is enormous. I mean, I'm surprised that it's that big. Obviously, it depends on how long they are out, how long they stop production for. But... um, I, I, I find it hard to believe, actually, 0.6% or 0.5%. Uh, you call Steve a liar? Steve I'm not calling liar Steve a liar. I just, I, I don't know. I, that seems too high for me. As it relates to the stock, kind of interesting. We talk about stock stopping going down on bad news. Well, this is, you know, pretty bad news. Not, it wasn't the most shocking. There were stories that this might happen, but... Um, stock has held up. It's held up. I'm clear. not I mean, long. What are you guys I, talking about? It's down 4.3% yesterday on this news. It was just confirmed the after. Year or so. yeah, but it's traded in a, it's traded it in a range that, that's been you know, miraculous when you consider what the stock had done okay. going into. I just into thought you meant yesterday this, on yeah, this not, yeah, No, no, no. I yeah. mean, and I think it's because, Dan, you've got this situation where it looks like when, like Phil LeBeau told us today, when customers are canceling orders for the Max, they're just buying a different Boeing jet. Okay, so Boeing but, is winning from itself. Fine, but Bo- owning the stock, and this is where I'm going to uh, kind of pass the baton to you. Okay. We talk about cash flow. When, when's the last time you've seen a, a company like this have a 99% tax flow, uh, you know, cash flow hit in a year? Yep. That's when things start to get really serious, and, and that's where this stock range with what your, what's your number, 320 or something sure. like that? That's where it starts to come into question. In All right, so let me grab the baton. Yeah, 
there you go, coming buddy. over here now. And, and you're right. So what we talked about even yesterday when this news came out, this was a free cash flow machine. Uh, and they went from essentially being 0.4 times net leverage to now they're about 2.1 times because they're building, building, building. They don't want to furlough. They don't want to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, I think in terms of the impact of the overall economy, think about also some of the growth that they might have pulled forward. I mean, they were just building away on planes. Uh, and they're going to have, I think, closer to 500 planes on inventory by the end of the year. But, but back to the stock. Um, remember, what was the reason why they made this announcement? I think it has a lot to do with showing the FAA that we're going to take it easy here. We're not going to get ahead of you. We're not front running the news. We're trying to manage expectations. And that doesn't necessarily mean things are going to be as bad as they said. Okay. Good discussion there on uh, arguably a very important stock. Coming up, is this stock the most undervalued play in healthcare? One firm thinks so. There's your chart. Mm. Don't answer. You guys know mystery. who it is. You guys I don't know. know who it is. It's a mystery. It's you know a, who it is. Like Sarah McLaughlin. It's always the guy. It's, it's never actually a ghost. Why is she a mystery? Why she Goldman Sachs? She's building a mystery. Why Goldman Sachs says the worst Good may job. be over for this year's worst performing sector. Is it time to throw a little energy in your portfolio? We're going to figure it out. Coming up. Stick around. One thing that's different about Lilly is how fresh and new our revenue is. Next year, more than half our revenue will be products launched just in the last few years, and really no major patent expiries on the horizon. As you know, in our business, we're always chasing that patent expiry, trying to grow, outgrow it. Lilly's got a unique position. Many growth drivers, several blockbuster drugs growing, and really a relatively clean period ahead to grow the company. All right, obviously, that was Jim sitting down with the CEO of Eli Lilly, the company, just upping its guidance. A lot more to that interview. It's a good one. You can catch the full interview, top of the hour, on Mad Money, right here on CNBC. All right, staying with Big Pharma. Shares of J&J, Johnson & Johnson, getting a lift following an upgrade at Morgan Stanley. It is your call of the day. The bank calling J&J the most undervalued stock in healthcare. Adding its legal woes have been priced in. Morgan Stanley upping its price target to 170 Shares of J&J up about 12% on the year, even with Guy Adami. Mm-hmm. All the legal headaches around opioids and talcum powder. Excuse me? Calc. Talc. Talc. There's Talc been some powder. headlines, Guy. No, I've, I've, been, I've been following up on that. Right. It's important, the powder. Yeah. What do you want me to say? Do you agree with the Morgan no, Stanley? No, I don't call? agree with the Morgan Stanley. I mean, I, don't, I can't say categorically that the headline risk is gone. I understand on a valuation basis why you would love J&J, but it has had a pretty significant move. Now it's bumping up against levels that it's sort of topped out at. So they may be right. I think they're late to the dance, which is something you never want to be. It's an interesting note. A lot of notes are, uh, Adam Morgan Stanley, but they've done it in two ways. They've said, first of all, they, they talk about the fundamental story. They talk about actually what's going on in the medical devices, and they talk about pharma actually being a driver for outperformance and when it has been, the stock's really moved. But they're also taking a linear approach to itself relative to the S&P. And they said at one point it was trading about a 10% premium. Uh, about a year ago, it's now at a 15% discount to the S&P. And even if you put it to a 5% discount to the S&P, it's $170 stock. That's where they're going with this, and I think that's interesting. And by the way, in that same call, they upgraded two names. Obviously, Johnson & Johnson is one name. I mean, you guys do fast money all the time. Sure we do. It, it, Hillrom Holdings, HRC. They upgrade. Yep. They call it their favorite mid-cap pick. Basically, this is a company. If you go to the hospital and you're in a bed that moves, it's probably made by Hillrom. They do that kind of stuff. HRC, anybody got an opinion on Hillrom Holdings? <laughs> no. we just, we've just absolutely we, trashed your you vision like of what goes hospital, on in Fast like Money. Hospital <laughs> you can't get, I mean, yeah. I, no, I, I the get, space, yes. I mean, I'm not getting one of them Hillrom beds, though. 
at gunpoint. I'm sure they make beautiful beds, but I ain't looking to go to the hospital anytime I soon. Ain't looking. You know what I just did? It's called value added. J and J call well, through a new name. Look it up. Top mid cap pick. HRC is sure. the ticker. You are welcome, America. All right. Well, <laughs> if you are buying the bullish bet on J and J. Dan has a way to play it through options. He's going to go over to the plasma. He's going to break it down for us. Dan. Yeah, I will do that. Thank you. Yeah, so today call volume kind of got really hot. It was about five times that of puts. You're going to need one of those Hill Ram beds soon, buddy. Um, So the stock obviously had a good day. And Guy mentioned that this stock is moving up against that uh, resistance of the 52-week highs a little bit. But with that call volume, there's a really interesting trade where one trader who actually appears to like this Morgan Stanley call rolled a call position up and out. Today, when the stock was trading at 143, there was a seller of 6,000 of the February 140 calls to close. And they used the proceeds of $6.05 or so to buy 6,000 of the uh, March 145 calls paying $3.70 for those. Those break even at 148.70. Actually, on February expiration, they sold the Jan calls. So they rolled them up and out a month, and they're playing for a breakout of the 52 week highs here. And I think that's a really interesting trade because I think you want to go to the charts here. And let's talk about this. This is that range. That's the 52 week high. The stock is up 11% on the year. That's all incorporated in this move over the last month and a half or so. Obviously, it bounced off some support in the 125, 126 area this fall. But let's go to the five-year chart. And this thing has been in this little wedge pattern here. Pretty constructive chart. You had this move here. This is about 145 bucks. This is why this trader is taking this position that was in the money now all of a sudden in the last week and rolling it out a month and up a little bit, playing for possibly a breakout. This is about 150 bucks. If you believe the valuation story, this is the sort of name that if you do have some of those headwinds, um, the regulatory stuff, out of the way, the stock should be moving higher. And just lastly, one of the reasons why buying calls to define your risk in a name like this that is controversial because there are some unforeseen things that could happen, if you're looking at option prices, this is implied volatility in J&J, short-dated options, they're pretty cheap here. This is probably a pretty decent level to express bullish views if you agree with this call from Morgan Stanley. All right. Good stuff, Dan Nathan. Thank you very much. Come on back for more options action. You can be sure to catch the full show, which is Fridays, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. All right. Coming up, it has been a rough year for energy. It's been a rougher year for energy investors. Goldman Sachs says the bottom may be near. And they got a couple of names that they think in the oil patch that you should buy. We're going to bring them to you, as always, live. The NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Goldman Sachs trying to light up the energy space a little bit today, saying the beaten down sector may finally be seeing a bottom. And Goldman highlighting a couple of names that they like in the space. EOG, Pioneer Natural Resources, Parsley Energy, which is founded by the son of the CEO of Pioneer, Concho, and Diamondback, the original FANG stock. That's their ticker. Guy Adami, you like any of these? EOG, this is a $130 stock. Not that that matters, but it traded down basically below 70 bucks, 16 times. I mean, these they're all very levered names. And Karen will explain to you, if they catch any kind of a break, these stocks go up. They move exponentially higher. And I think that's what you're starting to see in names like EOG. It's just the beginning even if it trades to $95, which is a bit of a reach from here, the stock is still cheap. So in those names you just gave me, I think EOG sort of yeah, stands Yeah, the balance out. sheet, we talked about this before. There's six oil and gas stocks that have the highest A or above. One of them is EOG, then Schlumberger, Halliburton, Exxon, Chevron, and somebody else. 
Yeah, so those are best of breed. Baker Hughes. Yeah. So there's a couple other tailwinds going on for the sector, and I think you know this, Brian. The, the, the sector has not reinvested in production. The sector is certainly so for some of the most efficient mid-cap and, and, and upstream players like EOG, like Concho, this is a great environment for them to take market share. It's also a case where you've got a tailwind with the dollar, I believe, which is going to be very good for commodity prices. You have commodity prices across the board, but I would argue in oil and in copper and other key mining and metals uh, also bottoming. I think it's a very interesting time. I like oil field services. I like Schlumberger, which has a fantastic balance sheet. Even though rig counts and, and, and flat. I, yeah, but, rig but, counts are down from a year ago, but, as they should be, by the way, because right now you've got production over capacity. I think you've, I think you've bottomed. I think you're starting to see some, some offshore uh, drilling spent. I, I, think, I think SLB. Karen? Well, I, I know you love the space. I mean, just... Well, I like covering it. It's been, an, it's, been a, it's been a money destroyer. Ten for, years of gains in energy are wiped out. Ten years. Gone. And it's now four so percent of the S&P. Six hundred and fifty-four billion in it. industry debt on sixty-four billion in net income. So, if you were bullish on it, if you were really bullish, I mean, I'd probably take a flyer and buy something super levered, right? Where if that does happen, if that operational leverage is, if, if commodity prices rise and operating leverage goes up, then you're going to make multiples of what you're going to have in an EOG, right? I don't, I don't have the, I don't have the, uh, the internal structure for that. I'd much rather go with an EOG, something where you have, you know, some downside, a lot of downside protection. Okay, there you go. All right, coming up, why Bitcoin is singing the blues on an important anniversary. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin prices, wow, down big for a second straight day. The crypto breaching that $7,000 level yesterday, but really falling ever since. Now it's $65.80. Bitcoin now trading at its lowest level since May. It's lost nearly half its value from the high earlier this year. And here's a fun fact. Mm. Exactly two years ago today, today, Bitcoin hit that all-time high of $20,000. Incredible. Well, it's not terribly fun for people that were buying the top. And it, like, like a lot of manias, you have a case where more money was lost at the top than was made all the way up to there. You'd also probably hear there's a lot of Bitcoin and crypto traders out there saying, but 2019 was still a significantly up year for spot prices. And that's really what it, you know, the, the volatility that's inherent in here is something that I think most people that If you're going to buy a crypto, do you have to buy Bitcoin because this will be probably the survivor no matter if you believe in crypto generally, there's still a bunch out there. I think if you're going to invest in something, that's the one you'd go for. It's I mean, what else is there? Well, there's other ones that are out there. Right. But relative to this. Okay, I see your what else is there is sort of a metaphysical type statement, not really. As we get on this show, we can be metaphysical and it works. Let's get metaphysical. I think that was Olivia Newton. Yes, it was. All right, it's time now for your final trade. Let's go around the horn. Let's start it off with Tim Seymour, the very real. Let's get metaphysical with JNJ, which I think we talked about not only from a valuation perspective, but the stock has some momentum. A lot of bad news. A lot of folks underweight this stock. Thought it would have been smarter if I said Elizabeth. Olivia Isaac Newton, John. But anyway, go ahead, Karen. Well, I am sort of hopelessly devoted to home. Oh, listen to what you did. Economic data out today for housing. And I think the consumer is still strong. I like that. And you're about to break up with old FedEx. Yeah, maybe. I got to hear the call, but it's oh, not Yeah, I just think that that Apple so discussion that we had earlier is really important with the stock right here levitating. Then never in the history of the stock market has a stock gained $600 billion in market cap. I would not be a buyer. Brian, a shout out to the it University of North Carolina Wilmington here this evening the in the set. They're not the Seahawks. Letter M. Macy's off that Goldman downgrade a week ago. They're wrong going. Guys, right, thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. Good to have you, Brian. Right now.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.